Entering satellite weapons line of fire in 14 seconds. Right. Memento Mori is fully charged, sir. Get ready to fire. Yes, sir. Beginning resonance. <laughs> Welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast that's given Double O a try. My name is Jeremy. I'll wipe the planet of those damn dirty apes! I'm Tyler. (laughs) My name is Zach. Although, Death Balls would be a totally legit interpretation, uh, because I did watch Spaceballs this weekend. I need to watch that again. It's been like ten years. It's not good. But Um, there's the part with the rewinding. The problem is there are a lot of good jokes, but there is a whole lot of dead space in between all the like it could be a way tighter movie. And I think that would make it better. Like, I would love to see a recut of it. No, I uh, ran a horrible trail relay up in the mountains this weekend and ran a total of 15 miles over the course of 23 hours while trading off with a bunch of random strangers. It was really fun. This was a great group of people. We are watching episode 13 of part two of Double O, episode 38 in total. Assault on Memento Mori today. I don't know. It's a good episode. It's pretty good. I, I actually didn't have a whole lot to say about it, but like it's mostly because it's a lot of action and it's like just pretty good action. It's probably the best action Double O's had so far. Maybe the finale of part one. Mm, I really liked the jailbreak episode. Yeah, that one was pretty cool where they like used mist to diffuse particles. Yeah, but I, I say that and I really liked the episode, but most of the action was kind of off screen and very compacted. We did get Susano pulling a solid snake for a while, though. So Yeah, but there wasn't actually that much action in that. It, it was tactical espionage action. How do I do these? We haven't done one in two weeks. Um, <laughs> fuck boys. They have to destroy a Death Star because the assholes <laughs> built it. Also, mom's there. She's really good at packing lunches. I um, know that's Mari's job. Uh, yeah, there you have a tactical mom who is going <laughs> to... Tactical <free> mom? Is going to... I just pictured, like, you know, your typical anime mom, but she's got all, like, these tactical pouches and tactical webbing and yep. stuff. Just just imagine your mom, but la, Rob Liefeld drew her. I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> just an American mom. Uh, I was just imagining, uh, like, a Michigan mom being like, oh, hey, kids, don't forget your Glocks. That's not Michigan. What is that? That's Minnesota. Yeah, whatever. Let's see. Also, there are the innovators. They are supporting the a-holes from the shadows and firing the Death Star at the Middle East, mostly. But yeah, so their innovation is Death Stars, as far as I can tell. Also, hacking Veda. They also had Billy build some cool new mobile suits for them and only them. Uh, yeah. I'm I... assuming he built the new ones that the innovators are using. Like the Gadessa. Although, actually, I don't think he did. I think those were on the in the pipeline before he was Took in that over. job. But it could be either way. Yeah, like that one business magnate who was employing the thrones for a while. Well, it- Harry it kind Laguna. of is implied yeah, that the name. super fancy one he builds for... Mr. Bushido in the that doesn't happen later in the future. Yeah, um, was kind of like the first one he actually built. So and maybe the Gadessa he wasn't he might have actually been like with the finishing touches on the Gadessa and the like, but it, they weren't his designs. Let's see, did I forget anybody? Luis isn't in this episode. Um, no, but she deleted all of her pictures of Saji. Yes, but she's not here too. Marina isn't in this episode. Oh, Catherine. Catherine hate the a-holes and uh, want to do something about it, but unfortunately they don't have names, so it makes it hard. Except for Klaus and Shiren, but they are on Earth, and the Death Star is in space. And Lock-On. Yeah, but Sorry, he, Gene 1. 
He's a member of Celestial Being, though. So he's doubly protected. I'm a member of Celestial Being. I'm not sure if that would mean that automatically that Neo Lock-On would have triple protections. Because he's a member of Celestial Being, he's replacing an already dead character, and he's a member of Cateron. Or he's triply vulnerable because then it would just be extra poignant if he died. I'm hoping he loses his other eye. Instead of his right eye, he loses his left eye. Yep. Yeah, and then he has to channel his brother, like Mia Fey, <laughs> to see out of both <laughs> eyes to the feet. Uh, and no one can tell if he's channeling him because they look the same. <laughs> oh, how have they never done channeling with twins in Phoenix Wright? They did. Did they? Okay. It, well, kind of. <laughs> Because there's that case in the third game where you're dealing with the twins and one of them is dead. Oh, yeah. Okay, I forgot about that. But the twin isn't actually channeling the other twin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else important that I missed? Um, Setsuna got a cool new jet to strap onto his double O Gundam, so now it's the double O Riser. And when he does Trans Am, now it's far out, man. <laughs> and you forgot about the character who exists in here to make it a Gundam series and is currently growing up of Saji. Yeah, he doesn't do anything. Yeah, he's not episode. in this episode, though. He, he he's is. in this episode. He sits in the chair. But and, he does less than Mari does in this episode. But he's here. So is Lasse. I didn't mention him, but I don't think he's he literally he driving. Did. No, Anu is driving. Lasse is gunnering. I was going to say, I, I'm just imagining Anu being like, don't maybe turn this spaceship around. But it's even funnier imagining Anu doing that. Also, we need to apologize for forgetting Revive Revival's name last week. How did we forget Revive Revival's <laughs> name? The problem is all the innovators look the same to me. Oh, you've activated my trap card. I was going to transition into that exact topic. I was kind of going to save it for next episode because it's really clear to me in the opening, in the fourth opening, rather. But I wanted to talk about, I feel like the innovators, they have pretty decent character design that they just throw out the window by constantly putting them in these helmets that change their hair color, which is their main defining feature. Yeah, because otherwise they're all kind of like, you know, anime androgynous. So yeah. it's kind of hard to tell them apart. Which is on purpose, but not only are they anime androgynous, they also all have a twin. Yeah. <laughs> just, to, just to double down on it. Which makes it so hard to connect with any individual one. I was like, why do I like the innovators less than any druggie? I think that's the point. Maybe, but they're they supposed are, to be kind of inhuman. Maybe, but they are our main antagonist, and we need to be able, like, on a character design level, to be able to empathize with them. Again, I'll go into this more next episode when we talk about the new opening, because it really, really uh, stood out to me there. And they are kind of interchangeable, but so are druggies in a way. And I still think that, like, even if they all look the same, they should stand out. No, I, I agree with you because, well, I don't necessarily think you need to empathize with them. They are the antagonist, so you need to know who it is you're actually hating on instead of him basically being one step above your generalized faceless grunt. I feel like they all just need to have ridiculous villain voices, but all unique ridiculous villain voices. Would that help? Is that anything? Possibly. The problem is I don't know how to do a like an over-to-the-top villain voice. That and is be distinct. androgynous. And be androgynous, yes. <laughs> I think it, the character... Frieza. It's Frieza. <laughs> the, the, I think the character designs just need to be more distinguished and use those because those are going to be your first point of reference. I think just don't use the color change helmets. They work fine with the main cast because they have sharper character designs. They also have uh, color-coded suits, so... Yeah, whereas the innovators have color-coded hair that you can't see because it's tinted by their helmet. So this episode's good and we're going to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Assault on Memento Mori, episode 38, episode 13 of part two. You can watch it on Crunchyroll if you like. And we start with, is this the uh, after credit scene of last time? I, I don't think it's quite it, right? I honestly can't remember what the after. Uh, it's similar, but different. I, I think it's a little bit extended. Okay. Because like after credits last time ended with the uh, Memento Mori firing. And then also the Cadessa fires in this. And then the captain's like, well, crap. So Catheron's got a space fleet, and they're like, all right, we've met up. We're going to do a missile attack as soon as we get in range. And Guy is like, but Captain, the satellite weapon is moving. It's and flipping over so they can shoot at us. I love that line. The laser barrel is emerging from the top. <laughs> <laughs> Although I got to say, this thing looks like it has a very limited angle of attack. Yeah, it probably doesn't need a huge. I think the idea is that it would be defended by a fleet if anything ever actually attacked it, which is exactly what's happening. So... So anyway, they do a Return of the Jedi and start shooting all the spaceships down with their Death Star. This space fleet is quite operational. <laughs> Monitor guy is like, Captain, we have to fire the missiles. 
And he's like, no, not yet. I bet they can't rapid fire that laser beam. And like, so they can't, but there's another giant ass laser coming at us. But it's much smaller. It only takes out like one ship. It only gets shot. one dude. Yeah. And we see there's a Gadessa here with, hey, Hilling Cares in this one. I double checked. It is, in fact, Hilling Care. Yeah, I only know this because they do chide Hilling later for taking off to go duel Setsuna. Oh, it mostly sticks in my head because uh, asshole, who I want to call Moff Tarkin, but that's an insult to Moff Tarkin. I know which one you're talking about. Uh, and Major Rint. Yeah. Yep. Because Major Rint calls her, her Captain Care a few times, and that is funny to me for some reason. <laughs> Because it sounds like he's supposed to be a member of a Care Bear squadron. I was going to say, I think it's because it sounds like it's a Best Buy add-on package they're trying to sell you after promoting you to Captain. Here's your promotion. Would you like Captain Care with that? It's only (laughs) an extra $9.99. And if anything happens to you... Okay, can you imagine? I I hadn't really thought about what you were mentioning with the the face plates making it difficult to tell who was who. And you said, oh yeah, it's it's healing. And my immediate thought was, are you sure that's not Revive? (laughs) like oh yeah yeah i definitely see what you mean i can tell which one is bring bring has like more defined cheekbones bring also is the is flying a different variant of the gadessa i honestly can't tell them apart oh really can't tell the gazaro and the gadessa apart i'm sure i could if i saw them side by side the gazaro was black with claws the gadessa has a big ass fucking gun gazaro no like shoot gun (laughs) (laughs) also bring is very masculine that is, I think, the defining like, features. Brings, like, way less androgynous than almost all the other uh, innovators. But we didn't even bring up Regina because you can tell the difference between Regina and Kiaria even because she's based on a good character design, so. Or he. I, I keep misgendering Regina. I apologize, well, Regina. You're a fictional character. But it's Pride Month, so I feel like I should try <laughs> harder. Well, and the the thing about Regina versus Tiaria is that Tiaria and Regina also have distinctly different hairstyles on that score because like Tyria has straight hair Regina doesn't all the other ones are just kind of like a mess between them okay here's a question the innovators are more or less perfectly engineered you know perfectly in heavy quotes engineered life forms why do they need to wear glasses how many of them wear glasses Regina does and Regina and Tyria but I, neither of them seem to need to I feel like that's an identity <laughs> choice no and that's my further question is does Tyria wear contacts when piloting the gun I think we already established that he doesn't we that he doesn't actually need them no prize answer it is to hide when their eyes do the glowy thing when they are in contact with Veda I'll buy that so we get the third opening for the final time if there's anything we want to say about it now's the time and I pa- <laughs> if not it's I better not than the fourth it. one yes like I said they get slowly worse <laughs> the fourth one's fine but I, it's the I, worst one. <laughs> I thought you were exaggerating, and then the fourth one started up. I'm like, wow, this is the worst one. Yeah, and it's not bad. I'd watch that show. It more just feels like they weren't entirely sure how to make things sync up properly. I think they were trying something different, and it doesn't work. Because this one has it too, but the fourth one is the most like, hey, this is just a fight happening. I guess there's also music. They're unrelated. Yep. So Captain Care is blasting ships with her giant Gadessa beam. Apparently hers can recharge... Hers, his, whatever. She's a her. Okay. Or she's referred to with feminine pronouns. So Hers fires much faster than the one that we've seen Revive using. It also seems smaller, so I assume it's just a... Setting? Uh, yeah. Hers is set to medium big fucking gun, whereas Revive <laughs> yeah, has medium hers fucking set gun. to <laughs> really big fucking gun. Yeah. Hers is set to kill grunts, whereas uh, Revive's is set to kill main character. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of grunts, Cataron spaceships are all being blown up. They're being shot like fish in a barrel. And the captain's finally like, well, I guess fire all our missiles before we all die and don't have any more missiles. Yeah, despite the fact that you've already lost most of your fleet and therefore most of your missiles. Missile barrage. Unfortunately, point defense in the future is good. And it shoots down 93% of the missiles. And the remaining 7% do fuck all. I mean, yeah. Like, there's got to be a reason. Why are missiles not a bigger use thing in this current era well the obvious answer is point defense is just too good yeah that's i've decided that cataron mostly just has outdated technology which i think has been kind of established and therefore missiles are their primary ordinance which is outdated we've already seen it since they have amps and and uh tierans in their inventory hey they have some enacts i think which are a flag i mean the technically the enact is newer than the flag but both of those are out of date in this current time frame so the ALAS sends all their cool new mobile suits in to destroy the carriers, mop them up. Cateron sends their crap mobile suits that at least have a better paint job, Zach. They've got that going for them. I, I generally do like the red paint scheme. I just think 
the color balance on the red is not very well done. They, there, there's too much red there, not bra- not being broken up by anything else. I like the red and white, though. Yeah, the red and white's good. The red and white on the Jinxes is good. The head's just being basically red with a black backpack isn't. So, Hilling whines that they're stealing her kills. She's like, my KDA is terrible. I've only killed battleships, and everybody knows they don't count. So, Captain of Caterot is like, I don't know, let's ram it. That's got to destroy it. Unfortunately, he's about to get Archangeled, as, and this member of the A-Halls doesn't just fly in front of the bridge. He does a barrel roll. He's trying to style on them with his gun warming up to shoot them. But fortunately for him, he's getting Archangeled, which means he gets saved at the last minute yeah. by the main character. Kira shows up, I mean. <laughs> Sets enough from off screen, destroys this with a giant laser beam. And the A-Laws are like, what? They have reinforcements and competent ones? And Hilling licks her lips and it's like, yeah, that's worth so many kills on my KDA. I like the shot of the double O riser coming flying in along the trench there. It's got the big boosters open up on the side. Yeah, yep. it looks like a Star Wars ship more than a Gundam almost. <laughs> that's what it's like, yo, Cataron, you guys suck. We'll do this. Give please, us all your information. Please send us all the deets on the satellite laser. Okay, so while I do like this, later in the episode, they just get all the information on the satellite anyway, but in greater detail, which makes Setsuna saving these guys kind of pointless narratively. I mean, it's not pointless because Setsuna saves the guys, right? That's important to him. Yeah, but he's like, hey, send me all the information. Like, it seems like because he asked for the information and they provided at the last minute that that is the reason he is saving them, but that ends up being... Pointlessly. Like, no, him asking them to send it is obvious because they're trying to destroy the laser. They're not trying to save them because they want their information. No, I'm saying from a narrative structure perspective. I, not, I, not, not like a Setsuna wouldn't do this thing. I guess I see what you're saying, but like Setsuna helps Catherine, I think, is got inherent narrative potential. No, and I already tracks and, with what Celestial Being has done in the past. And he doesn't know that Chun Li built this Death Star and Nana Trinity is going to betray her and send them an R2D2 later. No, I agree <laughs> with all this. I'm saying the writers could have done something slightly different with that scene to make it more efficient. I guess so, but I don't know what. Yeah, me neither, honestly. I'm not a writer. I don't think it really matters this here is... because I don't I don't get the same narrative fault you're seeing here i think he's technically correct but the actual narrative purpose of this scene is to sell double o riser toys to <laughs> that's fair <laughs> this is 100 the freedom's first appearance this is just here to show how cool setsuna is well he blows these guys up and saves these ships and so the dude is like wow he's a badass yeah we're sending it right now double o riser gets some beautiful kill animations too setsuna is like it's gonna shoot again most likely so Go beneath the orbital ring so it can't shoot you. And Caterpillar's like, we we're already, di- we're not incompetent. We're just outnumbered with bad tech. And Major Rint is like, ah, a Gundam. Excellent. I can blow it up with my space laser. <laughs> and they're like, sir, we're only at 27% space laser so far. And he's like, well, then I guess Captain Care will deal with the Gundam. With her space laser. And the fleet will assume defensive formation. And at least here... It shows that Rint isn't a complete fool here because he was like, okay, so if one of them is here, their ship is also probably going to be charging in here too. He's not a moron. He's just an (laughs) a-hole. Well, the thing is, in previous episodes, he'd kind of been presented as someone who wasn't too forward thinking, especially in in comparison to Kadi and and, uh, Sumeragi. Yeah, but Kadi's not here to show him up. No, that's true. Kadi would probably have guessed what the actual plan was. I don't think Kadi would be like, you know what? I bet that sniper mobile suit has bits that it can use to defend itself. <laughs> no, but I, I would wager that, that uh, especially because we already know that Kadi knows Sumeragi. She'd be like, okay, so they're going to use their Trans Am. To ram us. And they're going to go hard charging with this shield from the field. And they're going to shoot a weak point. So Hilling is like, oh man, Ribbits is interested in this boy. That makes me jelly. I'm going to kill him. So have some peanut butter. Unfortunately, even when she sets her giant fuck off beam to main character kill, Setsuna still dodges it. And he's like, hey, I fought one of these before. <laughs> so he shoots back, gets the Gadessa's leg, and Hilling is like, what the fuck? That is not a giant fuck off beam and it still has the range of mine? What the fuck? <laughs> you scratched the paint job. This is not fair. How are you this fast? She goes flying off after Setsuna. Captain Care, no. But Major Rent is like, she has a license. 
Just like every other fucking person in this goddamn army. <laughs> We're approaching Zaft levels of hierarchy here, which is to say none. <laughs> I don't know if I've said this on the mics, but my actual headcanon for why Mr. Bishido has a license is so Ribbons could set a precedent to give all his innovators a license. Oh, that would be interesting. I don't think you had said that, said that on mic, but that does make a lot of sense because... Having Mr. Bushido be one of those people that's already acknowledged as being a really good pilot, being like, okay, we can he, he can do whatever he wants, and that means that when I bring in the innovators, they don't have to listen to these puny humans either. Yeah, that's my theory. Not that I think they necessarily would if they felt like not anyway. It raises fewer questions, though. So we cut to Chun-Li's skybox, where she's going to watch the fight from, and her brutler is like, oh man, it looks like maybe you have a bruise? I can't... It's, or is that just the lighting? I can't. I mean, I don't know. Did you, her cheek is a little red. I don't know. Did you get hit or did you get drunk? And she's like, anyway, Ribbons is a jealous dick. Let's do something about it. And Nana's like, you're a jealous dick. <laughs> but I, you can't hear me say that. Oh, well, okay, good. I had the comms off. Great. And, and then, then she's like, I'm going to make sure I betray you. Because you've been nothing but a bitch to me. And I don't remember why I'm on your side. Get, get that, Haro? So we cut to the bridge of the Ptolemaeus where... Everyone's hanging out, except Alleluia. He wasn't invited. <laughs> I'm assuming that him and Mari are both off doing Making their out. thing. I mean, it's going to be very risky. They got to have a kiss for luck. Yeah. And so, like, anyway, we got these incomplete Death Star plans from Catheron, so we can start to make a plan. Also, the escort ships are deployed just as Sumeragi thought they would be. So the, that implies the laser has a limited firing angle. And, hey, that uh, solar system we have around the planet looks an awful lot like a Death Star trench. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in, in this case, it actually makes some sense that the thing wouldn't be able to get all the way down because you wouldn't want it to accidentally blow the ring out of the water. Yeah. And then they get a call from a uh, from Long Lumet's agent. It's like, we got more data, and it's a full Death Star plans. Main screen turned on. Someone set them up the bomb. And they're like, how did Long Lume get this? I guess she is our best spy. And of course, the Death Star has a weakness in it, uh, its electromagnetic resonator. Which it's at least only about two meters across. No, I actually like that they did not build a hole in it, and Celestial Being has to blow a hole into it to get it. And Sumerog is like, well, I guess we're going to do a Death Star Trench run then. We haven't done one of those that yet this series. <laughs> Thierry and Lock-On, you're going to have to be absolutely perfect. And Lost is like, is this a precision plan or a brute force? And Sumerog is like, why not both? <laughs> it's precision force. I want to take a screenshot of and just Photoshop some tacos into her hands in that scene. And Nana's like, good job sending them all the plans, Haro. Now we're going to, I don't know, fuck off to the side and maybe do something dramatic if an opportunity shows up. If we can Han Solo this shit, we're going to Han Solo this shit. And then, so we got uh, Saji talking to Marie about Louise. I really like this scene. It seems kind of awkwardly placed. It makes sense dramatically because Saji just had his big revelation that Louise is in the army and Mari did meet her. I do want to see the immediate line before this about how this came up. Did he walk in on the making out? And he's like, oh, I wish my girlfriend Louise was here. Marie's like, oh, I met her. Did he, Saji go like, hey, when you were at the A-Laws, did you ever meet Louise? That would also make sense if Saji approached her and asked. That would be reasonable. That would actually be my most likely is that Sa after they things kind of calmed down after they ran away from the base that Saji asked Mari if she had known Louise or if she ever met her. And she's like, yeah, but before we could be friends, I defected. So she was a mobile suit pilot, though. I can confirm. And Saji's like, I knew it. Oh, shit. I knew it. <laughs> So then uh, Mari gets a message from Sumeragi and is like, yo, Mari, come to the bridge and bring Saji with you. Mostly because he doesn't answer his goddamn phone. He's actually just had it on silent all day. <laughs> he forgot to charge it. Also, Mari, I'm going to need your help with something. Dun, dun, dun. Cut to Setsuna, who has just passed the eight unit threshold to remind us that he's better than Amuro Ray. Is that really why, why eight is the... Marker there? I assume every time eight mobile shoots are shot down, it's a reference to that time Amaro Ray shot down eight Rick Doms and three battleships. Most people don't remember the three battleships, which is part of why that's impressive. But oh, so he get, he gets eight mobile suits, and that makes him like the best in the universal yeah, yeah, century at the time. Yes, I mean, and that's like holy shit. He got eight mobile suits and three uh, battleships in one fight. Also, keep in mind that the RX seventy eight at the time had sixteen shots. That is actually really <laughs> impressive. And a beam saver, too. But. So it's just an internal reference to the for, to the original series? I assume every time. That would make sense since 8 is a weird number to call out. Yeah. 
So all Gundams are in the assigned position. They turned out the lights. Hill and Care manages to line up a shot on Setsuna, who is busy stabbing someone to death and thus <laughs> cannot dodge. As the Ptolemaeus goes rocketing down the Death Star Trench. With and, its GN field turned on. And we don't get a night catch. Just like Aeolia Shenberg, I too plan on having a bunch of teenagers take over my life's work and giving them giant death balls with which to do it. Hello everyone, and thank you for listening to episode... What is this? I don't know, 14, 15... 13, it's 13, of Season 2 of Gundam Double O, with us. Happy July, because it is now July. Um, yeah, I don't know that we have anything particularly fancy going on this week. Um, that said, if you are a member on our Patreon, and are somehow not listening to this, episode 33 of What's a Gundam came out recently. Uh, for those of you who don't know, What's a Gundam is the show where Jeremy and Kevin talk about... Gundam Wing, and it's not great, so I can't imagine it's leaving a great impression of Gundam on Kevin. And speaking of our Patreon, if you listen to that, you'll know that we did some episodes on the Modica Magica movies, and that is currently what they're reading over on Jumpstart, and specifically they're on Volume 3, The Wraith Arc, which is the beginning of the second movie, I think? Yeah, oh no no, it's some bonkers stuff, I highly suggest Modica. Anywho, that's it for now. We've got some stuff in the pipes, um, just kind of all over the place. So look forward to that in the future. But for now, just remember what Char's burger order would be at McDonald's. Okay, bye. Cut back to Setsuna stabbing a guy about to be hit by <laughs> killing care in case you forgot what happened right before the commercial for Burger King. <laughs> but Setsuna dodges like he always does. It, I love how he just kind of leaves the dude he stabbed. I know, that's pretty it's good. It's very like Spider-Man detaching from a wall or like just dropping from something. And Setson is like, you've activated my trap card. 1v1 me. And Hilling's like, LOL, that's what I wanted too. Like, I get the feeling it's like he took the bait because now he doesn't have another. Sh- like that, that cannon's going to take time to charge. I think is more as she's engaged with me. Now she can't stop the Ptolemaeus. It's going to be gone before she has a chance. Because she sees the Ptolemyos just a rocket along the trench right by them. Skidding on a like, magnetic field above the trench? Yeah. So an object that large orbiting the Earth would almost definitely have magnetic interference. So I, I also assumed it was magnetic field for that reason. So Sumeragi's like, open all the gun ports, lock on Tiaria, do a good job today. And Rint is like, ah, just as expected. They're in our Death Star's blind spot. Shoot them with all our ships. And force them into our line of fire. Then we will Death Star them. You know, this actually kind of makes a bit of sense based on what... They're they're not trying to make them dodge into it. They're just literally trying to kinetic force them into the line of fire. They do have a lot of battleships. And the Ptolemaeus is kind of just blind firing back. While being slowly forced to the right. This is why you need to list lazily to the left. You try (laughs) to hack this tactic. Well, the problem is they are currently being shot on the left side. They cannot list lazily to the left because they're taking too much hits. The momentum Mori is fully charged and they're almost in the line of fire. So do we think Sumeragi just predicted how long it would take for them to be able to fire no, again? Here? I, I assume she is relying on quantum brainwave bullshit. Okay. Because specifically... Oh, that's what Mari's for? Yeah, because okay. she defers to Mari on when to go. Because Felt's like, we've entered the line of fire and Sumeragi's like, not yet, stay on target. Stay on target while Mary is staring very intently at the plans. Yeah, she, she's waiting to make the call. And stay on target. As we and see then, the Death Star charging up. And as soon as it is about to fire, there's a glow in everything. Mari was just waiting for that glow. You, you know, is <laughs> when you use the shield block. Mari says, hey, now. And so Sumeragi's like, hey, hallelujah, now. And we and see so, a Death Star fire. And uh, then the uh, Ptolemaeus gets uh, enveloped in light. We get an extreme close-up on Sumeragi's eyes for that. Which is actually a pretty cool shot. It's a very dramatic shot. And Chun Li's like, hmm, yes, they destroyed a celestial being. Or maybe, hmm, yes, they failed to destroy a celestial being. It's hard to tell what she wants. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. One million dollar. Killing Care is in a sword fight with Setsuna. Is like, lol, your carrier ship blew up, now I win. We win. It's not like you have infinite energy in that thing. And Setsuna is like, fuck, <laughs> fucking hell, you really think that was good enough? Did they actually take that shot head on just with no. Trans Am? I assume they, they dodged. Dodge? Okay. I, I, I'm assuming they dodged. I'm assuming it is an after image <laughs> situation. 
because they are now on the trench again in Trans Am. Well, no, they're, they come in from above the trench in Trans Am to get back on top of it. And Rin's like, that's impossible. They don't know the Kaioken technique. I do love we just cut to Alleluia, whose, whose contribution to this battle, in contrast to the many recent battles in which he has been the star, is to sit in the ship and flip the Trans Am ship <laughs> switch on. So Rint gets the order to keep firing assholes. <laughs> and recharge the recharge the big Death Star cannon, because if we don't... I like how he's like, start charging it. Like, does it not just charge automatically? Do you have to tell it to do that? Well, I think it's supposed to be one of those things where it redirects power. Also, considering where it gets power from, you might actually have to. Yeah, that's fair. I was considering that as I was saying, and I'm like, they, yeah, they probably do have to divert it from somewhere. So they open up one of the hangars, and... Uh, the Cerevi and Trudium are now standing in the mouth of the ship. They being the Ptolemyos. And Sumerag is like, hey, we can't use our shield because all of our particles are going to go fast juice. You know, we had the engineer put it all in thrusters, not in anything else. <laughs> so, Lockon, you have to defend the ship. Remember how your mobile suit has bits? It does. And they are shield bits. And I do love how instead of traditional funnels, they're just little hunks of metal that yep. he controls out to block shots with. It's very well animated, them slowly getting dinged up and blown away. It's really, I, I like the idea because it also really fits with the whole sniper thing as a shield. It's kind of like a more high tech version of the poncho the previous lock on had. It's definitely the successor to that. I was going to say, neither of you played Control, but it definitely has some, like, vibes from the telekinetic objects in that game. Shields and bits, shields and bits. Game. But they've only got 94 seconds worth of Trans Am out of the Arios left. Good, good thing they never mention a time limit ever again. Unfortunately, they do mention a bit limit, and Lock-On is reaching it. <laughs> My bit rate is too low. So it, do we interpret this as lock-on is controlling those, or are they automated? I assume Baharo is doing it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Given that when usually we, you need to be a new type, I assume there is a computer doing it. When we got a shot of his bitmap. So Setsuna sees that uh, Hilling is going to take a pot shot at the Ptolemaeus with our big fuck-off cannon. And Setsuna's like, how fucking dumb are you? You know you're 1v1-ing me, right? And I'm made out of swords? I'm no. literally <laughs> right here. Now you don't have a big gun because I sliced it in half. And then Tetsuna uses Provoke, and Hilling has to force her aggro on him again. As the I do really like the shot of the Ptolemaeus just screaming by those battleships. And they're only at 28% charge, so they can't attempt to shoot him with the Death Star Beam again. Don't know how they would, since they're now in the blind spot again. But the downside is they are almost out of bits. Should have paid for more. We can't run fiber to space. <laughs> I like the constant interspersion between like going to the people on board the Ptolemaeus and then showing us the bits getting wrecked. Yeah, it's all really well done and it times well with the music, which teaches us they can do it. They just choose not to. <laughs> and then we get that the Arios has reached its Trans Am limit, so they drop out of that and are just kind of coasting. I mean, they shouldn't lose any acceleration, right? Well, they lose acceleration. They won't lose any velocity. I yeah, wasn't, yeah. wasn't going to say it. but <laughs> So Sumeragi... Decides to call on Tiaria. To you, uh, I was trying to make a Pokemon reference and I couldn't make the joke land. Tiaria, Tiaria uses extreme you. speed. I'm pretty sure Tiaria uses Hyper Beam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Tiara charges Frieza's Death Ball. <laughs> In Trans Am. Which he calls the Hyper Burst. Hyper Burst, total release. <laughs> Giggity. It's like what happens when you use a Solar Beam on Sunny Day. Hardened String Shot. <laughs> Uh, and that blows a little bit of a hole in the side of the compartment. Well, I guess softens it up. And then they launch a fuck ton of missiles at it. I do really they, like... They launch a Macross worth of missiles. A, a one Macross of missiles, yes. Yep. <laughs> I do really like the animation on Tiaria's full release, like tearing at the steel. It, it has a very cool look to it. So after all that, all they manage to do is blow a hole in the side of the Memento Mori. And, and Rint is very, very mustache twirly confident about how ah, you could only scratch the station. To be fair, he has one moment of, oh no, are they going to blow it up with a missile? Ah, oh, they did not blow it up with a missile. Ha ha. <laughs> it seems you didn't have enough firepower. And it, it seems like he knows what they're actually aiming at. The electromagnetic resonator. Well, I, I assume after they hit that, some like an engineer is like, hey, that's there. <laughs> And then, and then of, Rint, like, on, like, on a view screen, sees this Cherudium setting up a sniper rifle on top of the Seraphim. And he's like, what? Is that, is that a fucking sniper rifle? <laughs> <laughs> and Lock-On tries to lock on 
to the electrodatic resonator with his sniper rifle. He's not really fired on this thing. I, I do like his uh, line in a little bit. He's yeah. like, well, like the name says. Well, anyway. <laughs> first, everyone says his name. Sumerak is like, lock on. And Felt's like, Lyle. And Anu is like, guy I just met. <laughs> Ali's like, lock on. And then Tyria is like, I'm going to full name drop. But that's that's because uh, Tyria and Setsuna have no social grace. <laughs> and they just always say everyone's full names. And then, like Tyler said, it's a great line of, just like the name says, targeted and firing. That's what my brother used to say. And he was a better sniper than me. So we see the sniper shot hit head on. And then there's an excellent shot of the Ptolemaeus just rocketing by this thing so they can cool guys don't look at explosions. It. I actually, I really like the zoom in on Sumeragi's face because she is pure concentration this entire time. I really like that shot because it goes back into, they came screaming in at like Mach 10. And now they're just going to go away in the same fashion of Mach 10. And then Rint is killed off when his ship is hit by a bunch of debris. I was actually going to say, like, Rint's like, well, I did not predict a giant sniper rifle. <laughs> and so Maragi's like, okay, we're leaving. Tell Setsuna he should uh, probably join up with us. Cut to Setsuna still fighting Hilling, managing to dodge, but not really getting any more hits in. And be like, okay, withdrawal acknowledge. And Hilling's like, hey, come back here, boy. I feel like he wasn't really trying to get any more hits in he was just like all right i'm just gonna tie you up and be annoying but as hilling starts to chase him she gets shot millennium falcon style by some beams from off screen which distract her long enough for setsuna to come take an arm setsuna is good at getting those attacks of opportunity yep okay so right there right here right is she's saying damn you gundam gundam my, my computer blue screened it right in the middle of that. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and then the sound, like the sound did that, like looping the last bit uh, <laughs> thing. Well, and it took like five goddamn minutes for my computer to reboot. So it's just, ah. Hilling's <laughs> <laughs> very emotional. <laughs> so Setsuna flies away and he's like, huh, my backup had a red beam. I wonder what that means. I will say, I like the double riser a lot more when it doesn't have the fighter just sticking straight out of its back when, yep. when it's like more like a cape when it's yes. down like it's clearly designed to be instead of just like nose pointed out like it's about <laughs> to blast off again yeah speaking of which nana is like yeah i was gonna say nana's like nyan <laughs> <laughs> victory sign and that's the end of the episode but wait there's more and by okay. more i mean some people be like "Ooh, fireworks and klaus and sheeran being like no children that isn't pretty that's Rem the sign of war remember what tyler said some of those are probably bodies. <laughs> Did I say that in like seed or something? <laughs> I think in the in the uh, the after thing, the extended ending of Gundam Seed. I think you said that. Uh, well, that's funny because I was actually just thinking it right now. So, <laughs> and they're like, "No, children, we don't want to pass this on to your generation." And Marina's like, "What should we pass on to their generation, though?" Pokemon was pretty cool, right? <laughs> we also see Sergey watching the star shower, and he's like, "Hmm, yes." Mixed feelings, but mostly positive. And then somebody comes in and is like, it was probably Celestial Being. And Hercury. <laughs> yeah, he's like, Her name is Pang Hercury. Hercury. He's also a colonel. So when I call him colonel, I'm not making a mistake. And Sergei's like, what are you doing here? You weren't introduced in the first half like you could have been. And he's like, well, it has been a while. Would it make more sense for that guy to be the dude that assigned Sergei uh, to hunt down the Gundams and is like, here, take this Soma? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I just want, like, what I think I actually want is some flashbacks from Andre's point of view to the two of them hanging out before. Uh, and that's the actual end of the episode. So is this the best Death Star run we've had in Gundam so far? I really like Atherin blowing himself up to take one yeah. out, but that's very different. Yeah, I was going to say, I like the Seed one, but it's like less of a Death Star run. Uh, it's more of a second Death Star run, yeah. actually. I think I... I think I like this one a lot more because there's a lot more focus on the actual trench run and it's a lot more dramatic than pretty much any of the other ones that we've gotten so far. It's also like the way they animate it, it feels like the Ptolemaeus is going really fucking fast and like that's hard to convey in animation in space, I think. And the way they intercut everything, like with the shots of the shield bits getting destroyed and then to the pie or to the uh crew the Ptolemaeus and all that, it actually kind of gives the feeling of they're on the table. Yeah, it's really well blocked, I guess. I, like, I'm not really sure what the right word for that, but like where they choose to cut perspectives is really good. There are some really, really good shots in Iron-Blooded Orphans, and I haven't seen Thunderbolt, so write me and cry me a river. 
I think Double O has pretty easily the best fight animation in a Gundam series, pretty consistently. My only complaint is that the Double O has never been as graceful as the Exia was. Yeah, graceful is the word I was reaching for, but like the Exia was just so beautifully animated. And the problem with the Double O Riser is it just cuts things in half, which is like great, and that's what it's supposed to do. But it's not as fun to watch as the Exia was. In a way, I think it's too powerful for it to get the same kind of treatment. I agree. Because with the Exia, it to use the <laughs> nerdy analogy, it was the Dex fighter, right? So like it had to dance around and maneuver. The Double O Riser is so powerful it can just muscle through everything. There are still some really good shots. I like when he does barrel rolls with it. I really like, like Zach said, when it comes in to save the ships. And the bit where it dodges the cannon by like jumping off the thing it's just stabbed is also really good. But I do generally agree. And they do actually lean into the, like, overwhelming power of it, like when he cut through an entire goddamn asteroid, which was cool as hell, so. Oh, it's definitely got some cool shots, but I, d- I understand where you're coming from. The the Exia they managed to make look really special in comparison to most other Gundams. Yeah, I've never seen fight animation quite like that, and I've watched a fair amount of Shonen-ass anime, and the fact that it's done in a goddamn ro- giant robot, also pretty cool. I guess, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, some of the early episodes of Yu Yu Hakusho with uh, Karama, I think he does some, like, dancing with thorn yeah. whips. Yeah, I can see that. Crunchyroll's trying to get me to watch Yu Yu Hakusho <laughs> the other day. I'm like, no, I love that show. I've watched enough of it, though. <laughs> is Yu Yu Hakusho on Crunchyroll It is now. now. Yeah, with the Funimation merger. I might have to check that out, because I've never actually watched Yu Yu Hakusho. It's pretty good. Yeah. And I feel like now that I'm out of my I hate anime, it's all stupid phase. I think the, I think I could I would definitely appreciate it a heck of a lot more. You might. I think the problem would be you've seen a lot of stuff that is descended from it and has done a lot of what it does better. Like I would almost even skip the entire dark tournament arc or maybe oh. like watch a highlights reel or something. I, I get why you say that because it kind of has that Dragon Ball Z pacing. But also the dark tournament is kind of the highlight. You know, I'm I like you am a man of culture and know the sense we are. Superior, yeah, but <laughs> no, I, I mean, I could still watch it and give it a shot. Yeah, see what happens. Sensui is one of my favorite villains just because he's so wildly unhinged, but also very grounded at the same time. <laughs> yeah, Sensui weird. I like him. Do you have a high point of this episode, Tyler? Oh, boy. Um, I'm sure I do. The problem is it's like almost entirely high points, so I'm not I'm not really sure which one I want to pick. Uh, What's your peak? What's your maximum release? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, full release. Yeah, I'm, sorry. Uh, hyper release. Um, <laughs> why don't you come back to me and give me some time to mull on it? Because like I'm sure you guys will take some of the other ones anyway, and that'll narrow down my field a bit. Zach, I want to take the thing that I just keep... Take it. <laughs> well, it's like half the episode. <laughs> okay, maybe mine something off it and take that. I think I'm going to go with the interplay between the uh, the people inside and the destruction of the bits, specifically. Yeah, I was considering that. I thought you were going to take the thing I actually wanted to take, and that was my backup. So I'm going to take Lockhart nailing the shot, and, specific- and the Ptolemaeus just cruising by. Cool guys don't look at explosion style right after. But also, I wish we got a little more with Lockhart because his whole thing is not wanting to be compared to his brother and all that. This is a really good moment for that. And I feel like if there had been a little bit more Lockhart setup, this would be like one of the best moments of the series. And it falls a little short of that, I think. But it's still one of the best moments of the episode. He kind of gets a... He has to be his brother for a moment and he does it. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I, I, I like you wish they explored that a little bit on either side of it. But yeah, that's fair. Um, I think, okay, this is like weirdly specific. I think my favorite part of this episode is specifically that close up on Sumeragi's eyes as the giant ass death laser is about to hit them. Really? Because I don't care for that. I wasn't considering it for a low point at all, but. No, I I like that a lot. Uh, Just like Sumeragi has the same goddamn look on her face the entire fight because she's just thinking so hard the entire time. And I kind of love it. Do you have a low point, Tyler? There's not a lot that's, like, not great about this episode, but if any, I I guess it might have to be the, like, awkward transition to Saji talking to Marie, which is, like, not a bad scene. It's just, like... They have to hit this beat here. Yeah, exactly. It's a weird place to hit the beat. It's totally kind of an odd spot for it, and honestly, I think they could have just put it in next episode, and it would have been fine. The way next episode works... It would have been trickier. I yeah. think the way the next episode is blocked, it would it would have been equally as awkward there. That's also fair. Although you could have done it in, when they're all hanging out in the field, just talking with each other, and probably made it work. Do you have a low point, Zach? 
I'm going to go with Chun-Li and her Brutler conversation. Yeah, that was absolutely what I was going to go for. She doesn't even look hurt. Like, I get what they're going for, but you really have to stare at that light change of color on her cheek to it get it. It would have made a lot more sense if it was more prominent or if she had, like, a split lip or something to really lean into that. But at the same time, it doesn't really even add anything to this episode. And I wanted to piggyback off that. That was going to be my low point. So I had this planned transition already. Is Nana betraying her effectively? Like, why didn't Chun-Li send them the Death Star plans? Did Chun-Li want them to destroy the Death Star or not? Does she know? What does Chun-Li want? And has Nana effectively betraying her? Or is she just as planned as in? I think Nana seems to think she's betraying her. So when we get the close-up of Chun-Li smiling enigmatically... It is right as we, the audience, are led to believe, however momentarily, that the Ptolemaeus has been destroyed. But we don't get a cut of her being like, afterward, right? Like we do with a rent. Yeah, so I don't, I don't really know. Um, like, does she know that Nana's spying on her? Yeah, does she? Probably. Does she know, like, oh, Sumeragi's gonna outplan this? Chun-Li seems weirdly out of place now. In the in the narrative, kind of in the way that Saji and uh, Louise felt in a lot of places in the previous season, because I'm not entirely sure what she's doing here anymore. But Nana shows up and is acting in this episode, which makes I think you have to scrutinize Chun Li more because Nana is acting because of her actions, and you're like, wait, what? I I can no prize answer it as she has repeatedly said, oh, if celestial being can't overcome this, then they don't deserve my help. And so maybe she's like, oh, if they can't destroy a Death Star without me, they don't deserve my Death Star plans. And also it would be hella suspicious if I was just like, hey, I have these Death Star plans. But I don't know what she wants out of it. I'm actually almost kind of read or attempted to read her a bit more straight in that she is just aligned with the innovators, more or less. um, And she wants a seat of power at whatever that results in. But I feel like then you show her reacting when the thing gets destroyed or when Celestial Being survives. Or, or ever. <laughs> and like last week, Ribbon's like, oh, you want all of it, you greedy bitch. What does that mean? Does she want the double out and to be on? Does she want to be in charge? Does she not? Because she's kind of repeatedly says, all I want is the world to change. What does that exactly mean? Were they talking about the leftovers? I don't know. <laughs> uh, now I have to come up with my low point, which you'd think that conversation would have helped me do, but it didn't. I'm going to go with Catherine just kind of fucking off. <laughs> so it's like, leave, you're useless. And they're like, okay, sorry. <laughs> Have our plans. It would be kind of cool for them to still be engaging the other ships. Like, for them to come in and engage the ships while the ships are shooting at the Ptolemaeus. Or like if Sumeragi could have incorporated them into the plan somehow or something. Yeah. Instead, they're just like, all right, we're NPCs. We're leaving now. Do you have an MVP, Tyler? This one's really hard for me because it's kind of all over the place. Isn't it Alleluia for turning on the Trans Am? <laughs> oh, I, I actually really like that scene, but that might be a runner-up. But it's not the, the scene's problem. It's that Alleluia has done fuck all. He let Setsuna ride him out of the ocean. <laughs> he, he got shot down and sat on an island. He got a girlfriend. Yes, he did, he did some maneuvers near some escort ships. That's why he's not allowed to do anything. Is because they're like. What else do you want? We gave you a girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, it kind of completed his, like, character motivation and arc, other than, you know, the whole Celestial Bean gig. So, like, to some extent, I can see why he's not getting to do a whole lot narratively, but also, like, come on, man. We have four main pilot characters. Why does one of them basically just never get to do anything? He's too busy making out. It's super obvious to me who it is, but go on. Yeah, I think I'm actually going to give it to Lock-On simply because Neo Lock-On, I don't think, has gotten an MVP yet, and he did nail that shot, so. He has exactly one. No, he has two. Okay. um, exactly one. I mean, runner-up is Sumeragi, but the problem is she keeps coming up with bonkers plans and they keep working. (laughs) She has to outdo herself now. (laughs) Like, I want to give her stuff for that, but also, like, it seems a little trite to just keep giving her points for constantly saving their asses. Zach? I think I'm going to give it to Setsuna for showing up, saving Cateron, and then tying up Hilling the entire time. I've been making jokes since the Double O Riser showed up. That's like, buy it in shops now, kids. I think this is the really effective show of the Double O Riser. I mean, they even give it the freedom's entrance in this episode. But this is the one where it really gets, gets to show off, be the very powerful thing, be pretty much unmatched. Remember, to, it's the Double O Riser, kids. And I think that's pretty cool. But I'm also going to give it the lock on. Because 
like I said, my high point, I think the moment where he takes the shot is really cool. He hasn't really had much to do, so it's cool that he gets to. The bit stuff is cool, whether that's him or Haro, he's contributing. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I revised my MVP to Haro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which I, one? Lock-ons. Oh, not Evil Haro. Come <laughs> on, Zach. <laughs> evil Haro's fine. I'm not I'm not really attached to Evil Haro either way. Eventually, he'll be in Build Divers, and we have to hold that against him. <laughs> Anything else we want to say on this episode? Pretty good. It's pretty it's good. Pretty good. It's a lot of fun to watch. This is also right. almost exactly the halfway point of the second season, right? Yeah. So, I, like, where the hell do they go from here? Where I'm, do you think, Tyler? <laughs> we've, uh, got, we've got the Trans Am stuff with the Double O Riser. We've got Chun-Li. We've got Ribbons. We've got Luis and Saji. There's a lot going on. Um, I'm kind of interested to see where it goes. I, I am expecting... That Double O resolves this a bit more gracefully than Destiny did. So uh, I describe the ending of Double O as you're going to fucking hit that runway, man. You need to put down that. How the <laughs> fuck did you land that? man? <laughs> Jesus, I, I that thing was coming right after you. How did you land that? <laughs> so, Tyler, I have I have a question for you with regards to Ribbons, our primary antagonist. How do you think he goes down? Does he go the Alejandro corner route where he pulls a Gundam out of his ass? Or does he go down does in he pull like a an Death outer... Star out of his ass like a Jabril? Or, or does he go board? down on board like a Death Star or like a infantry action? Or is he shot by his second in command, a la Patrick Collisar? Oh, uh, that's or actually not Patrick Collisar, <laughs> Patrick Zala. Well, Patrick uh, Zala, the Patricks doing the fusion dance would be weird. <laughs> would he just be like completely ruthlessly crazy, uh, <laughs> you know, stupid? And in love with Cotty. <laughs> I was more of thinking like, is he going to remain like this manipulator and not get on the field in a mobile suit? What do you think? I think he's going to remain a manipulator and not get on. I honestly expect the rest of the innovators to like splinter and some of them essentially uh, pull a coup. He's got so many daggers, though, in terms of characters. He's got a Mr. Bushido. He's got a Louise. He's got the innovators. He's got Sanchez. Yeah. I honestly don't actually know. I just was curious to know what you thought. <laughs> Given the type of villain that Ribbons is and like like his fatal flaw is like pride, essentially. Right. And I expect that pride to be his downfall. And like the fact that he assumes he is superior to everyone else eventually be, being turned upon him. That's kind of the, the innovators entirety. Like they all have that same flaw. Yeah. But Regina at least is like. You're such a dumbass, Ribbons. <laughs> um, and I expect that to eventually foment doubt or something. Uh, because a lot, I think a lot of the innovators are starting to realize that Ribbons is not as all-knowing as he claims to be. And that he is relying on old information off of Veda. That makes a lot of sense. And not necessarily that uh, what's-his-nuts put everything in, the, uh, in Veda. I anticipated some teenagers taking this Why over. Why can I not think of his name? Ayola Shenberg. Ayola Shenberg had like the Trans Am and stuff wasn't actually in Veda. Anything else we want to say about this episode? I don't think so. It's not a lot me. of fun. Yep. All right. It's a good number we'll return in I Can Hear a Song. interested in this boy. That makes me jealous. <laughs>